RPS Live from Primavera Sound Proudly presented by Metahype and Cupra Hello, we are back on Radio Primavera Sound uh, both on the radio uh, and via Twitch uh, and it is my great pleasure to be here with Jana Rush Hey, Hi. what's up? How you doing? Hello, Barcelona you feel it? You've been you've been here for um, a few hours, kind of looking around at stuff, right? Yeah, I've been here for about three, four hours. It's pretty dope. Um, I went up to the Soho House, set up there, watched everybody have fun. The music is great up there. It's like a mini club inside the festival, so that was really dope. Um, I tried to make it over to the boiler room, however, I was going to be late for this interview, so you have to go there later. You got you got a while before yes. you. <laughs> so you you've got a fascinating story, right? If if I've got it right, you work as a chemical. Uh, engineer at an aura factory and as a CAT scan technologist. So I let the um, chemical engineering go on. I let that go because um, I wanted to pursue the music more. And with that job, you know, you need to be pretty attentive, pretty committed. And I'm not on that level. I wanted to do my music really bad. Whereas CAT scan, you know, I pretty much know that job. I've been doing that for like about 20 years now. So it's no big deal. I just get up and go to work. So. But even so, having one job and making music is quite a lot, no? It can get difficult with the type of job that I have because of the, um, I want to say, the mental and emotional um, energy drain that you suffer from being work, working in the hospital all day. Like, you're, expect, you're expected to be teeming with compassion all day. And you're in a situation where basically nobody cares about what is going on with you but you have to care what's going on with other people. And it can get pretty draining, sometimes frustrating, especially when management is on your side. But other than that, um, financially, the job is rewarding. And it, you know, it's like the hustle that I have to do to enjoy, be able to enjoy my um, music. So I'm willing to do it. <laughs> but do you find yourself, like, thinking of music at work? <laughs> Boy, I don't, man. Yes, all day. All day. Sometimes it gets to the point where I have to write down certain topics just so I can remember when I go back and read it where to start from, what, what I was thinking about. Because I'm my mind is teeming with ideas at all times about sound, about um, samples, about machines, about everything. So it's like, yes, music is always in my mind. And I suppose, in a way, having another job means that the music you make can sell as much or as little as... as. Yeah, I'm not... I mean, everybody wants to be um, popular, famous, an influencer. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I want my part too. However, it's not a big deal to me. It's like, you know, and that's what I enjoy about making my music at least. Because when I make music, I don't have that hanging over my head. Like, this has got to be the one. This has got to be the one. If the label don't want to mess with me no more, I don't care. <laughs> Because you started DJing at the age of 10, yes. right? Yeah. How did you start so early? Um, it's called, you know, I had a helicopter mom. And it basically, you had to have a legitimate reason to get out the house. Uh. So um, that helped me be pretty resourceful with the activities that I picked up as a child. Like I picked up baseball. Um, I picked up, um, what else was I doing? I was doing football for a minute. And then, you know, I was listening to the radio and I decided to call the radio station. I didn't know anything was going to happen, but they said, hey, we'll give you, a, you, you can come up and do an audition. We'll let you see if we're going to let you be on the radio station. I went up and I did horrible, but what came out of that, they was like, hey, we'll teach you how to DJ. So I was happy. What do you think they saw in you? I, 
probably um, the fact that at the even at that young age, I was pretty comfortable with myself. And even though my blends were really bad, I didn't seem to. I don't. I don't think I really seemed to pick up the fact that I, how bad it I did until the end, and everybody was looking. You know, <laughs> so it's just like I was in my own world, and I was just like doing what I could do. So I think the fact that you know. I didn't let what was going on around me affect what I was supposed to be doing. I think that was one of the things that they picked up about a kid so young, being able to, you know, black out and just do what they were supposed to do, focus on what they were doing. And then you started producing at 13. Was yes. that like a, a natural evolution? Um, it was kind of natural. I never knew that I would be making music, just um, talking to Paul Johnson and hanging out with him. And, you know, many co phone conversations. Like, this guy was like 25, and I was like, 10, 11, 12, and he took the time to talk to me on the phone, explore things with me, tell me what things mean, explain it to me exactly what a drum machine is and what it does. So it's just like, it got, it became natural after talking to Paul for a minute, and I eventually went over to his house. He explained to me what a metronome was and how to make tracks based on, a, you know, metronome. He started out with the bass, you know, how to do it, four count, you know, show me what you could do. And then we went from there. But yeah, it's Paul Johnson kind of opened that up with me. I've never been to Chicago, but it always strikes me that it's quite supportive there for musicians. Is that right? What? No. Okay. But then, what? Well, <laughs> it depends on who you are. Right, right. And I mean, I think that's anywhere. I don't think it's just a Chicago thing. It depends on who you are, who you know, what your pedigree is. Um, however, I could say... Um, for me, is is getting supportive. Um, however, yes, Chicago. I don't know. It's a, at least right now, it's a lot of haterism going on. However, you know, um, I think it's a genre specific situation because you have other genres where people are a lot more friendly. So I think it depends on what who you hang around and what you're doing. It's like anywhere else, basically. So back then, when you released your first record, 1995, yeah, um, it was still Chicago House, right? Yeah. When, and I know people don't like to kind of particularly talk about genres, but in, in your opinion, when did that sort of change into, into footwork? Um, basically, as an on-air DJ, um, before footwork became footwork, it was um, the way the, radio, the program manager would describe it as noise. You know, fast music and noise. You can't blend it with Michael Jackson records. You can't blend it with any Janet Jackson. So basically to him, it was crap, you know. And I was back and forth. My style on the radio was minimal, um, techno-type music, um, anything obscure and weird. I wasn't there to be the commercial DJ and play um, Robin S and all that. Every, you know, to sound like all the other DJs. That was To me, that was Gantz. That's him and DJ Nafis. That's for them to play. Me, I had my own little niche, and that's what I always, um, that's what interests me about music. I, I, because I felt like with music, I can come in and do my own thing. I wasn't worried about trying to be, you know, I guess what we have in mind today is the festival DJ. I want to be, I don't mind being on a smaller stage, you know. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so from the Wicked EP in 1998, there was mm -hmm. a really long gap until until your next record. Yes. Um... Yeah, I was working, um, trying to figure out if I wanted to do school or not, um, volunteering as a firefighter. So I didn't have the money 
my mom was not going to basically support my lifestyle while I slept, you know, pretty much until she got home for work. So I had to go figure some things out for a couple of years. <laughs> but w- were you making music at this time a bit or, or not really? I was dabbling a little bit here and there. Not, It was more of a hobby. That's what I would describe it as at that time. It was, if I found, if I had a friend that contact me, he had equipment, I would go hang with my friend, make a couple of tracks and come back home. Because at this time, I was still struggling financially. I didn't have any means to get the equipment that I needed. And I definitely, you know, I try to put this message out here for all the females. I definitely wasn't trying to put out just to get on. So, like... I knew I had to buy my own stuff, so I just went and got a plan, basically. I was like, you know what? I'm going to just get a decent job so I can buy my own equipment, you know? And when you, you came back in 2017, uh, it was with Pariah, an yes. album. Was it important for you to come back with, like, a full album? Was rather, it, well, rather than, like, you know, come back with, like, a track on a compilation or a 12-inch, was it important to come back with something that that, that big, you know, like a full statement? No. Um, actually, at that time, I had no clue that I wanted to do the album. So I had tracks, but um, Mike Paradinas' wife, um, Laura, hit me up, and she liked more than just three or four of my tracks. So she came up with the idea, hey, we should probably try to cut an album with these tracks that you have. We found a way to basically mesh them together and make sure that they work as an album, and then we'll put them out. But yeah, um, at that point, I wasn't, I didn't know, I, I wanted to do music, but I didn't know which way to go with it. I didn't know if I would do a e, another EP. I didn't know if I was going to do another album. I didn't even know if any of that was going to matter. So, To go down to the level of a track, um, talk about Beat Maze. Is it, I mean, is it a very self-explanatory name? Are you sort of trying to create basically a maze? I mean, it's, it's quite an incredible beat on it. Yeah, so it's me just... The, the energy of the track and the way that it's, it's like unsettling, it's just always moving. It just, to me, sounded like a maze. And it's like a this beat, it's a never-ending beat. Like, the beat is always going on. So that's when I came up with the word beat maze. It's just It's just all over, you know what I mean? And it's just like the other one, um, No Fucks, you know, No Fucks. I love that track, too, the acid track. Same kind of energy. It depends on the energy, energy of the track. That's how I name my tracks. And a bit of abstraction, you know, some, I like the abstract names too, so depends on how I feel about the track. And that brings me to your 2021 album, Painful Enlightenment, Yes, which is an amazing album. Thank you. Um, if it's not too personal a question, I think you said it was created as a document of your struggles with, with depression, yes. right? Yeah. Was it a sort of very difficult album to make? Yes, it was difficult because I wasn't able to work when I was supposed to work. Um, with albums, your label contacts you. They tell you what they want you to do, and you get a deadline. And, you know, pretty much the way labels work, if you if you can't meet the deadlines, most of them are like, well, you know, because, I mean, I'm down a rush, but I'm not, like, I'm not out here, like, push a T. I'm not Kendrick. So nobody's going to wait on you. And I just, you know, yeah, it was a low time in my life, and I was just lucky that my label stuck with me which was um, Plan to Move, they, they decided to stick it out with me and just let me work as slow as I wanted to or as, as to do what I could when I could. But yes, it was a very painful time in my life. And um, basically what happened is 
I, you know, t- at this point I figured out that I spent most of my life being depressed and, you know, avoiding my feelings. And at that point in my life, something happened between me and someone else in a relationship that triggered all that to set me back and just basically disconnect from the world and feel a certain way. Go to this, go to this sunken place, basically. Do you listen back to it now, the record? Yeah, I listen to it a lot. I, I like the tracks. I mean, you know, the, the um, production and the audio and the way that I recorded everything, yes, is very harsh. You know, um, there's not a lot of low end to it, but I do like the tracks. I like the energy, and it describes me at the point in my life that I was in at that point. And is, is jazz a big influence? It kind of sounds like Yes, it. yes, I love jazz. Jazz... I didn't know I liked jazz this much, but my stepfather, he used to listen to bebop a lot. He was a Dexter Gorda fan, and I listened to a lot of music just being at home. My mom, preparing the next day for work, she would listen to Minnie Riperton, a lot of um, Earth, Wind & Fire, things like that. And my stepdad would listen to Dexter Gordon. He would listen to Charlie Parker. He had lots of jazz albums, so... Every Friday night, I would get bombarded with nothing but jazz. So, yes. I And I did like some of it. I mean, even though I was like six, seven, eight, I don't know anything about life. I didn't even know who these people were, but it sounded good to me. Have you played uh, Your Stepfather, the album? No, he's... That guy's long gone. Uh, and you, your mom? <laughs> my mom... No, I haven't... She's not into... She, she's not into my music. So... Yeah, she she's not listening. She don't listen to this type of music. It's not so much that it's my music. She just doesn't listen to EDM. <laughs> After that, there was there was dark humor. Was that almost like a, a reaction to yeah, painful enlightenment? Pretty much, dark humor is just um, it's a personality type album. That's just me putting out to the world the type of person, my typical personality. I have dark humor. I'm more of a clown. Um, but I always can get things done. That's the thing. Um, that's the um, that's the thing about me. Even though I don't take life too seriously, a lot of the times I laugh things off. Um, you know, I'm more of a clown in the sense that you know I like chaos, so I'll create some chaos in the workplace. But at the end of the day, you know, I can get things done. When I specialize in something, trust me, it's gonna always get done correctly. And is that the spider from the cover that you've got tattooed? Oh yeah. It's a black widow. Why do you like what do you like about spiders? Mysterious and everybody's just, you know, no most people don't know very much about spiders, but everybody's scared of spiders. So, you know, that's kind of how I feel when I'm just out in public, when I'm somewhere where I'm trying to be social. It's like, you know, I might not look very approachable, but and people make assumptions about me because I don't look approachable, but I'm nothing more. A lot of times I'm nothing like they think I am. So <laughs> so you're playing at 3.25 a.m. Yes. Um, at the, the warehouse stage. Yeah. What can we expect? Um, expect some pounding ass um, weed music. A lot of, you know, tracks with, about smoking weed. Um a lot of footwork tracks, some battle tracks played. I don't know how many footworkers we got out here in Spain, so I'm going to try not to kill you people. <laughs> but it's going to be some crazy, it's going to be some bass, rumbling bass, some crazy shit. It's not going to be, it's not going to be dead. If you do kill a few people, nah, it'll be I bad. don't care. You know, like it was probably <laughs> worth it. You know what I mean? And it, hey, it, it's going to get some headlines if you kill a few people. So <laughs> There we go. 
Joe Rush, thank you so much for thank you so much for coming. Um, as I say, three twenty-five a.m. at Warehouse. Okay. Come and see. Him. Yeah, I will see you there. Thank you. Thank you. RPS live from Premier Sound, proudly presented by Meta Hype and Cupra.